Good morning. Grace and peace to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has bid us come to this sacred time. Good to be with you. Last Sunday I was in uh, Georgian Shores, uh, Owen Sound, and uh, I look around the congregation here this morning and I would say that uh, there are actually more people here than there were in that great cathedral church last, last Sunday. Uh, but I wanted to say they have an important day today. They are officially recognizing the fact that they are an affirming ministry. And I was so pleased to hear that. And so I bid you welcome, particularly to those who will be joining us uh, on uh, Whiteman's and uh, Eastlink uh, cable services, the scheduled times, and those who will also pick us up online at, uh, uh, on YouTube. Good to have you with us. There are some important announcements, and I'm just going to do a, a, a couple of them. Maybe there are other members of the congregation who want to jump up if they have an important announcement. But it seems to me that the important one is that on October the 2nd, next Sunday, you have a special uh, congregational meeting to receive the report of the search committee and to act on their recommendation with respect to a new minister. I think that's good news, don't you? Okay. But also, uh, next Sunday is World Communion Sunday, and uh, I'm coming back again to, to lead that worship. I, uh, you know, Bob Blackmore had uh, been in touch with me, you know, over some time, seeing if I could do an occasional service, and uh, maybe one a month. Well, when I saw the schedule and that it was World Communion, I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to be so bold as to come twice in October. <laughs> and. Uh, so I would say to those people who are going to join us on cable and YouTube uh, that it would be nice for you to participate virtually in World Communion and uh, if you could have available some juice or coffee or toast or uh, you know, muffin, whatever, you could join us virtually on that service. And I mention this because we're on a week delay on cable service, so. Uh, and then this morning, uh, we have a special music by James Scarnacat. And uh, at the present time, uh, Willie Wilson informs me that uh, Jim is performing in the maritime provinces and that he has experienced his second hurricane but is safe in uh, New Minas. I think that's Nova Scotia, yeah. Well, the other announcements uh, I think you can attend to uh, as you need, unless somebody else has something that they must announce. Okay, then. 
we recognize that we're on the traditional territory of the Odawa, Mississauga, Abenanishawaki uh, First Nations and the Métis people, and that we are all people of Treaty five, uh, 45 and one-half. And so may we continue to work for right relationships with our indigenous neighbors and to speak up and to speak out against systemic racism and colonialism. And I have to say, I come before you this morning with the orange shirt uh, because, again, the September 30th is National Reconciliation, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day, and September is Orange Shirt Day. But I wear it with extreme humility because I know that I, I would like to be taught by our First Nations people as to the full meaning of this. You know, there is a danger of, of when progressive uh, Christians, you know, uh, go ahead and take on, want, want to be allies of, of this just cause that, um, you know, we, we have reconciliation. But sometimes we forget that we are so ingrained as white uh, Christians, we are so ingrained in colonialism, we don't even know when we are hurting other people. You know, and maybe for me to take this on, this shirt, without being taught, you know, what it means, without, you know, listening fully to the pain that it represents, I wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And so I would say, you know, to any of our indigenous siblings who may be watching this show, I, I ask, you know, for your understanding. I do wear this with humility. I want to listen to you. The light of Christ, the light of the world, May it shine and the darkness never block it. May the light shine brightly around us, among us, and within, so that we too might be the light of Christ in the world. Christ, the light of the world. We will center ourselves for worship in this song, uh, Open Our Hearts.
friends in Christ, we are blessed when we gather in God's presence. We see that special bond of community when kindred spirits gather in praise. Friends of Christ, God welcomes us with limitless love. The Spirit of Christ moves among us and, and within us. We, in response, welcome God's transformative love. We pray. We feel your welcome, gracious God, in this time of worship. You welcome us young and old, newcomers and longtime members, all seeking the comfort of uh, familiar expressions of praise and prayer, and all seeking a new experience of your holy presence. You welcome us all, welcoming God, and so we come with our joys and sorrows, our hurts, our pains, our failures, accomplishments, our heartaches, our joys, our hopes, our dreams, all that makes us up as your human followers of Jesus. And so we pray that we may be open and receptive to your healing presence. Amen. Called by earth and sky, we sing.
This morning's minute for mission is Women for Change Builds Climate Resiliency. In areas where historically there has been little rain, now there are floods. And where there were floods, now there are droughts. That's how Shadrick Chembe, the Monitoring and Evaluation Manager at Women for Change, an organization in Zambia that strives to improve conditions in rural communities by empowering women and girls, describes the changing climate in Zambia. Women bear the brunt. In Zambia, women are still responsible for collecting firewood and charcoal and making food. Now, because of climate change, they have to walk a longer distance to gather firewood. Charcoal is harder to get. That means it's harder to make food. At the same time, women are involved in the decision-making processes that impact this work. Women for Change was established in 1992, and its long-standing partnership with the United Church stretches back to 1995. From the beginning, mobilizing communities to share ideas and best practices has been key to the work. Since its inception, 1,500 community groups have been established with 25 to 40 people in each group and representatives from each forming associations. The group discusses a variety of justice-related topics. Building climate resiliency by preparing for, recovering from, and adapting to drastically changing weather patterns is a priority. Weather extremes due to climate change, coupled with companies promoting seeds that only produce a single crop increasingly put people at risk. The majority of farmers are poor. They can't buy seeds, but companies have created seeds that force farmers to have to purchase them each year. Says Chomby, groups discuss how they can save and share seeds, what they can plant with longer or shorter rains, and if there are traditional methods that could increase food production. We are grateful for the United Church's support the church has really been there for many years, helping us build awareness and resiliency. It's been a real partnership. Your gifts through mission and service support long-term, life-changing work through committed partners like Women for Change. Thank you. And it's very special that I get to share this little video project with you folks. I am at Grace Manor here in Ottawa Say hello, everybody. Hello. Oh, wonderful. I have a song for my friends back home in Hanover, where I'm from. I live in a small town. Anybody been to Hanover before? Oh, a few. I'm impressed. I am impressed. Well, we're going to send a song back home to my friends at Grace United Church. This is called This Little Light of Mine. And I'm going to personalize it a little bit. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Oh, you're allowed to sing. I want to hear you. Sing along. Let's do it. This little light of mine, 
Gospel reading is from Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. The parable of the dishonest manager. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me a counting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that, when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill, and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than they are children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, 
Who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm a creature of habit. And uh, one who appreciates symbolism. And even though uh, pulpits are sometimes set, you know, uh, far above a congregation, it's still part of my tradition that this is where we listen for the voice of God, the Word. I wonder, does the parable of the unjust manager shock you? Yeah. Does it raise any ethical questions? If it does, you're in good company. This parable has troubled Christians from the very beginning, from the earliest times that Luke's gospel began to circulate. It's the story of an estate manager who squanders his rich boss's wealth to feather his own nest. Uh, his boss found out and fired him. But before uh, his dismissal became public, the uh, fraudulent manager guaranteed his future by reducing the sharecropper's debt and making them beholden to him. And shockingly, his boss commends him for his shrewdness. How could he do that? Worse, how could a parable like this become associated with Jesus as if it were some sort of religious truth. And so what do we do with the with shocking scripture? <laughs> uh, well, we could take the accountant's perspective, you know, the shareholder's perspective, and skip to the bottom line. You can't serve God and wealth. You know, that'd be an excellent title for a stewardship sermon at a time when most congregations like this one are uh, thinking about uh, sizable deficits. <laughs> but a leap to the bottom line would ignore uh, the parable's important first century setting that, that, that gives it life. And it would ignore the movement of ideas within the uh, parable that make it so intriguing. So how do we deal with the shock of it? Well, uh, we could reduce it somewhat by remembering that uh, the crooked manager is just one of several nasty characters in Jesus' story box. You know, there's the unjust judge, you know, the callous old judge whom this feisty widow has to wear down by her relentless appeals to get justice for herself. There's an enraged king who sends his, troop to his troops to slaughter guests who refused an invitation to his son's wedding banquet. And then there's the rich man in Matthew's parable of the talents who uh, reaps where he didn't sow. Now you can imagine the stories behind that kind of uh, uh, corruption. In Luke's version of the same parable, it's a nobleman. 
He entrusts his wealth to his slaves. He instructs them to invest it. And uh, he goes abroad to buy himself a title. When he returns as king, he praises those who have invested and shames the one who in fear just hid away his portion. But then the parable really gets ugly. Uh, some of the citizens opposed the, uh, uh, the nobleman's cheap trick to buy a crown. So when he returned as king, he commanded these opponents to be rounded up and slaughtered in his presence. Now, I'm just quoting scripture to you, okay? So, uh, you know, there are some ugly characters in Jesus' stories, but none of these unsavory characters won praise for their horrible deeds, just this uh, rogue manager. So why might that be? Well, understand that honor played a very important uh, role in the first century. I suppose it does now. Eh? Does your name matter you know, in the community? Your reputation, your standing? You know how it is. But in those days, it was a very powerful, powerful force. Regardless of one's uh, economic status, and so having a good name in the community mattered even if you were among the vast, vast majority of the underclass, the, uh, uh, the poor, the economically poor, the day workers, and so on. And that's the main audience that Jesus addressed. Okay. There are only two classes in those days. The few wealthy, the many, 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 many poor. And they were held down by the elite and the powerful. Uh, and so the, uh, the minority rich, of course, had more honor in their own estimation, more honor, uh, but not in the estimation of the poor. So whenever Jesus began a parable, there was a rich man who, his audience went, boo, because they were primed for injustice amongst the wealthy. Okay. In the eyes of the majority of people, there never was an honest rich man. Okay. Okay. And so, here's the fraudulent manager. He reduced the rents of the sharecroppers. They might think that the rich man was not as greedy as they imagined. You know, and in their eyes, maybe his honor, you know, would, would rise, you know, standing increase in the community. Well, manager has him over the proverbial barrel because the rich man cannot insist on full payment or he is going to heap shame upon shame upon shame upon himself. And so you can imagine this rich man, you know, praising his crook for his shrewdness through his clenched teeth. Well, the original parable, and you have to understand, they keep adding to this original parable. The original parable ends saying that worldly folk are shrewder than the children of light. And the implication is that the children of light, you and I, you know, Christians, should be as shrewd as the worldly operators. Okay? 
Well, there's some truth in that. Uh, Jesus in John's gospel prayed at his last supper with his disciples that his followers who, are, uh, who would be in the world but not of, of the world, that they may be kept safe. You know, there is a recognition that Christians do have to live in a messy, ugly, broken world where the principal, principles and values often differ from and are opposed to God's. And then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus warned his followers about just what it would be like living in such a world. He said to them, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. And so you should be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. The late author uh, and preacher Peter J. Gomes, who's cited in one of Father Richard Rohr's meditations, wrote, you need both innocence and experience, both the serpent and the dove, if you have any chance of making it as a Christian in this world. Innocence without experience eventually becomes a state of pure illusion, and experience without vision deteriorates into cynical despair. Jesus wants us to be like the serpent, always to know what's going on. We're meant to be aware, heads up, eyes open, mind, full, mind on full throttle, not easily fooled. And to be innocent as doves is an exercise neither in naivety or deception. The dove is the symbol of the spirit of God. And where the dove is, there is to be found serenity, reconciliation, and peace. Now, I think that's shrewd Christianity. Okay. Discernment and wisdom are part of what is needed in Christians today. And I think those are gifts of the spirit. Guided by the God's spirit, we aren't fooled by unredeemed worldly uh, schemes. Yes, we're going to live in this messy world, but we're also citizens of God's realm. And so we weigh worldly methods, values, and morality on the scale of God's love, mercy, justice, compassion, truth, and injustice. And so the parable could, could have ended right there, I think, and would be sound advice for us in the world. But shrewdness, shrewdness bothered someone in the editorial department, and hence the confused addition, okay? Make friends by means of dishonest wealth so that when it runs out, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Really? Really? Is that what shrewdness implies? Doesn't this idea mistakenly equate dishonest tactics with shrewdness? And then that leaves open the door that uh, you know, any uh, method justifies, or, or getting tongue-tied here, uh, shaky notion that any end justifies the means. It seems that the editor forgot something in this parable. 
the rich man fired his manager for dishonesty. Honesty mattered even in this parable. It mattered uh, between crooks. Only shrewdness drew praise. Honesty as a core value has stood firm in the, in the parable. Well, somebody caught this, this moral mistake. Uh, they left it in the story, but they added a further comment that cancelled it. Just wipes it out. When you're honest or dishonest in small responsibilities, you're likely to act the same way in larger, more important matters. You are either faithful or you are not. You're either honest or you are not. With dishonest or any questionable morality, you know, you're playing with fire. Okay. But someone else wanted to add, uh, to, to press this matter of the core value further. And so they, they talk about the inability to serve two masters, divided loyalties, you know. Uh, you divide them, divide your loyalties, and you lose your integrity. Uh, I guess that's where hypocrisy comes from. You become phony, plastic, hollow-centered person. And since this parable featured two hollow-centered characters caught up in the wealth game, uh, I suppose the bottom line now does matter. You cannot serve God in wealth. And taking this bottom line further, we need to take into account that parables always have a mythological quality. They're not history. You know, they're stories. They're, they're, they have a mythical logical quality in the truest sense of the myth. Uh, myth in Christian circles is not a fairy tale. I suppose the simplest definition of myth is something that never happens but is always true. On the surface, the parable speaks of materialistic wealth. And yes, yes, it, that's important. The money in your purse, your wallet, the, wallet, the clothes in your closet, you know, it's talking about your homes, your, you know, everything that you sort of uh, um, amass in, in your wills. You know, we've been, you know, just redoing our will lately with our, our small amount of wealth. But then again, it's, it's kind of large compared to uh, somebody, you know, who is fleeing war in Ukraine, you know, and the impoverished people of the world. You know. So anyway, uh, that's this wealth. And, and it, you know, it's important to talk about how we deal with that. But in this symbolic way, in parables, wealth becomes code language for the most precious thing in our being, the most precious part of our being. It's really talking about, on, on this level, our souls. We're talking about the stewardship of our inmost being as spiritual creatures. The ancient creation story uh, has us created in the image of God. God's loving presence is embedded at the heart of who we are as spiritual beings. Now, of course, Christian tradition regards Jesus as the highest expression of this indwelling of divinity, but the doctrine of incarnation in its simplest form also understands that everyone, everyone shares 
the spark of divinity, whether they know it or not, or whether they respond to it or not. It's there. The Apostle Paul named that inner source the Christ within and the Holy Spirit at work in us. You see, Christian faith isn't so much about what we believe, but being receptive and responsive to God's inner transforming presence in us. And so, you know, Paul will urge us, his hearers, to respond to this inner presence. He as much as called it our life's work, and indeed it is, because I don't know about you, but it takes me a whole lifetime to let go of my little ego and let the Spirit of God take over. Uh, Our growth toward full developed spiritual beings isn't magic. It's not something that Jesus does independent of us, you know. Paul then, in his way of looking at it, as he wrote to the Philippians, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. I think that's, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, salvation is our life's work. Letting go of our little selves and responding to the Christ within is a process of growing up into Christ's likeness. You know, you can have many names for that inner inner presence. You know, God within, Christ within, the spirit within, our inner holiness, you know, the image of God. Whatever you wish to call it, that divine spark within us, that's our ultimate wealth. When we live out of this true wealth, our chances are far better than that we are going to steward everything else, all our other wealth, to the glory of God. Well, this summer, I was purging my library. You know, when I retired, I I purged a whole lot, but libraries have a way of growing, you know. Shelves are full. And so, okay, what am I going to get rid of? Well, I thought, well, I'm going to get rid of Tom Harper's books from my library. I need this shelf space. Uh, you know, he, he's always been kind of controversial, Tom Harper. Uh, but before I made a final decision, I said, I must be true to him, and I must reread. And so I spent the summer reading his trilogy, The Pagan Christ, uh, and all the controversy that it uh, caused year, some years ago. And then his follow-up book to that, Water into Wine, and then his follow-up to that, Born Again. I put them back on the shelf. (laughs) I had forgotten how profound, you know, how thought-provoking, how inspirational his writing is, how ahead of his time he has been. And so I'd like to close with a word from Harper, water and wine, about this inner worth, wealth that I've been talking of. He writes, when we realize that the gift 
real gift being entrusted to each of us for trading, and he's quoting from the uh, uh, parable of the talents, or for the investment in productive living, could come from today's parable. It is that the divine, it is the divine inner presence itself. When and as we awaken to the truly amazing God-given treasure we've been granted stewardship over, there is a debt of gratitude that, that swells up in our innermost being. And we want to make this gift count. Yeah? Yeah. That's the wealth we're working on. So I hope I hope you're finding your own deep sense of gratitude as you travel through life, as you work away, you know, uh, you know, sort of dampening down your ego. That seems to be the main stuff of, of this part of life. And I look over the congregation, you know, we're, I think we're all in second half, aren't we? Uh, so I hope, you know, you are finding gratitude as you steward this precious wealth within this image of God as this Christ within grows in you. May it be so. Amen. Our giving is God's gift of helping us to find ourselves. Our serving is God's gift of helping us to help others. Our offering is God's gift to us to contribute to our church's ministry. And so in gratitude for all God's gifts, we are making our offering. Please join me in the prayer. As people who yearn for new opportunities to put our faith into action, we give thanks for God's presence in our lives. As a congregation that seeks to build community and serve with com a common purpose, we give thanks for the Spirit's presence in our lives. As individuals who seek to follow the teachings of Jesus, and make a difference in our community and the world. We seek to share both hope and love through our mission, our service, and our offerings. continue in prayer. Beloved God, creator and sustainer of all life, we praise you for your wondrous creation. Your bounteous grace touches every aspect of the universe, from the cosmos blooming in our flower gardens to the outer reaches of the cosmos billions of light years away. 
Yet, this, in this wondrous infinity, we feel your intimacy. You make us of the same elements as the stars. Truly, we are stardust. In love, you breathe your spirit into us and give us life. You make us one with all living things. You fill our lives with blessing and call us to join you in the stewardship of our planet home. We thank you for your presence in our lives. In this season of creation time, when we contemplate our place and relationship in the natural world, we mourn our misuse of our human responsibility. Healing God, we need help. We need help to be cured from greed, abuse, from waste, from poisoning the earth, the atmosphere, the water. May this crisis we're in be the mother of invention and change the stupidity of our world to one of care. Help us to overcome our divisions, apply the knowledge we already have to heal creation and honor our stewardship covenant with you. God of all wealth, we thank you for all your blessings, for material wealth, enough to live on and some to give away, for spiritual wealth, Christ within, and the gifts of the Spirit that keep us in communion with you, for our citizenship in the world, but as citizens of your wealth, of your realm, we give thanks for security in a world where many live in fear, for peace and stability in a world when too many suffer war and chaos, for church and home and organizations and causes that give meaning to our lives an opportunity to share love and compassion, for joy and sorrow, grief and loss, celebration and pain for love that teaches us the deeper treasures of life, we give thanks. God of all people on the earth, we hold in prayer those made anxious and adversely affected by worldwide inflation, the pandemic, countless wars, armed conflicts, corrupt governments, natural disasters. We hold in our hearts the grieving indigenous uh, and siblings of the James uh, Smith Cree Nation as they continue to come to terms with the horror that they are living through. As we approach the Truth and Reconciliation Day, we pray for all ourselves and all our fellow citizens, that we may humbly listen to the cries of First Nations people and find out from them what they need from us, the privileged. We pray for the victims of the floods in Pakistan and all who suffer from the ever-increasing climate crisis. And we're thinking particularly today of our friends, family, 
fellow citizens in the maritime provinces who once again have dealt with a devastating hurricane. And then we come close to home, our God, holding in prayer those within our family, our church, our friendship circles, as we hold them in our thoughts and prayers. Compassionate God, we offer our prayers with a commitment that where we are able, we will act on our prayers, that they be more than words. We pray in Christ's name, and as we are taught his prayer, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Closing hymn is I Have Called You By Name. More Voices 161 and Projected. contributed to worship today. Uh, Yuki, of course, always. And uh, Marilyn Newbigin, our lay reader today. Uh, our musical guest, James Garnicut, 
Larry Howes on the sound, so, and uh, Nathan Bell is projecting and sound recording Bill Wilson, and always behind the scenes, Laura Delma, who uh, prepares our PowerPoint. A lot of people. And then there are others that I won't have mentioned. But I will mention that you are invited uh, down to the uh, auditorium uh, for coffee uh, and conversation following uh, this uh, service. And so our time of communal worship is ending. And we go into the world. So take into the world the deep love of God, steadfastness, tenderness, commitment, forbearance, fidelity, forgiveness, and compassion. And may you see the Christ in everyone that you meet, and may everyone who meets you see the Christ in you. Go in peace. Go with love. Go in the tender power of our Creator. Amen.